What's up, everybody? Welcome to Cyberstars. This is our inaugural episode, season one, episode one. This is the live stream podcast sharing entrepreneurship tips and best practices from battle-hardened cyber entrepreneurs. And if you're looking for a highly engaging and relevant discussion focused on cybersecurity entrepreneurship, covering topics from how to start a business to challenge challenges that entrepreneurs encounter to strategies for effective problem solving, then grab a pen and paper and settle in because over the next hour and over the course of this season, you're going to be getting all of that and so much more. I am so excited being joined alongside Ryan Leervik. We will be your hosts throughout this season. We've got a great guest lined up for today and a great show in general. Uh, the format of the show, just so we get some formalities out of the way, we will be uh, having opening remarks and then we'll bring our guest on. He'll be sharing all of his amazing thoughts and best practices and tips. If you've got questions, drop them in chat. I will be flagging them and we've got an entire segment all for you where we'll be taking your questions and having Derek, our guest and Ryan and myself potentially answering those to the best of our ability. The goal here is to deliver value to you. I want to say shout out to everybody in chat. I already see you guys in there. Samuel Martin, Toasty Pops, Aishina, I, I, Jess Bishop, Chris Young, Jesse Johnson, Rich 464, so many great people. Ryan, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock. Are you ready to rock? I am. I am. So, Ryan, a lot of people are familiar with me and Simply Cyber and the business that I run, but you've been operating in the shadows like some type of <laughs> puppet master. Can Share a little bit about your business so people can frame cyber entrepreneurship from your perspective. Yeah, sure. It actually takes a while to make that flip from like the background into the foreground, right? It takes some getting used to. Uh, me, quite simply, um, you know, business MBA turned technologist, uh, turned uh, 10 years cyber warfare department defense, turned uh, business uh, cyber starter, if you will, uh, in, in the commercial space. Largely, the pivot for me from government to commercial was because like of all the problems we have in commercial. So um, I went back to my business groups uh, about almost seven or eight years ago to start uh, you know, helping businesses sort of build resiliency uh, coming from the offensive side. So having those two together was, uh, was, was quite helpful with the business uh, side. So what that means here is, you know, one of the questions we get all the time is like, hey, you know, I'm looking, I'm a, I'm a practitioner, I'm trying to start my own business. Like, what are the fundamental things I need to know? Uh, so, you know, hopefully this, uh, for those of you that are in that position, this uh, podcast will help you. Yeah, absolutely. And in today's episode, just so everybody knows, we're going to have branded episodes. Today's episode is the grit episode. By the way, Cyberstarters is presented by ACI Learning. Totally pumped to have them as the exclusive sponsor for season one of uh, Cyberstarters. But today is the grit episode. And Derek is a perfect guest for the grit episode. But when we talk about grit and tenacity, Ryan, in cyber entrepreneurship, where's your mind go first? And what's kind of one of the, the first challenges that you're, you're going to encounter with, with grit? Oh, the first time things don't go your way <laughs> or according to plan. And that happens routinely, right? We hear this as like fail fast, right? Or, you know, uh, immediately sort of pivot when you need to. The tenacity to actually do that and stick with it when you don't feel like it is really where, you know, it's a test of a real entrepreneur, right? Like, because no matter what happens, like it's, it's never going to go the way you think it's going to go. And just to be able to recognize that, you, you know, you stick with your fundamental, you know, challenge of what you were trying to solve for or whatever you're trying to do and just keep at it, even in the face of adversity is really sort of like, you know, grit, right? So I, to me, that's what comes to mind. I don't know, Jerry, what comes to mind with, when you hear the word grit? Yeah, I guess when I think of grit, it, it, it's, it very much is, you know, like you said, what, what to do when things don't go your way. Also, when I think of grit, um, I kind of perceive it slightly a different way. So, you know, we're hard workers. Like m most people that are successful at cyber entrepreneurship, they are proactive, they take initiative, they move forward on things. Uh, but sometimes things aren't a great idea, right? But you know, you're you're fleshing it out, you're teasing it out, you're trying it, you're trying it. And I think grit in in kind of a peculiar way is understanding when it's time to um you know, push in the cards and, and basically give up on something, right? So like, like just one thing that comes to mind, I launched a podcast show last year called What's on Your Radar. And I ran it for one season and it was, it was, I thought it was a cool concept, but it wasn't sticking. It wasn't resonating with the community and stuff. And I ended up pulling it, but like I had put all that effort, all that energy, all that time marketing everything into the show. So to make that decision to pull it, um, you know, it's like, all right, like, 
you've got to be resilient and 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 deal with it because you're going to take a loss, right? It's like I could take a, a small loss now or continue to push into it, being you know stubborn and obstinate, and then you know find out later on that you know I've just wasted more money, right? It's it's kind of that fallacy that gamblers have where like you've lost X amount of money, but the next big score is going to make it up the next pull of the of the uh, one arm bandit or whatever. So that's kind of where my mind goes with these things. Yeah. And they tie together nicely because like you recognize that it's time to pivot, right? Even you still want to educate people, still want to be out there talking, still want to be out there sort of bringing the thoughts to people. That was just the wrong avenue. You recognized it instead of putting good money after bad, right? Yeah. You yeah. pull back, you pivot and you keep going. So there's tenacity and grit right there, right? Yeah. But the, but the ability to understand that quickly and realize, yeah, I could keep going with, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Keep doing the same thing with inspecting different results. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> like you recognize that quickly and then you pull back and you pivot. So there's, that's grit right there. You know, rather than just throwing your hands up and being like, that's it. I'm going to go, you know, uh, I don't know, pick another job, you know, entirely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or just, just, yeah. Just throw your hands up and just right. be done with it. Yeah. You, I mean, that's another form of resiliency, right? Is, is like staying focused, staying um, and driving into it. I mean, I think this is a perfect time uh, to to get our guest. Our guest is going to be uh, Derek Kristic uh, from Sidara uh, Sidara Security. I'm going to have to learn how to say it right. A great guy, professional, longtime professional out of the Buffalo area. So get your bills ready. Uh, we're going to grab him right now, and then I think before, like, in, segmenting in between uh, Derek and Q and A, we can run the the promo. Uh, Ryan, just as a thought. So let's let's go get Derek. Get your questions ready, everybody. This guy has got massive knowledge. Let's go and find out what Derek thinks about grit. Let's do it. Hey, we're joined by Derek Christick. Derek, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, guys. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, if you got any questions for any of us, including Derek, just drop them in chat and I will pick them up and serve them to him as quickly as we can. So, Derek, when, when we talk about grit, I know you could hear us at the intro. When we talk about grit, you know, wh where does your mind go uh, as someone who's been, uh, you know, basically an entrepreneur for what is it close to 11 years now, right? With Sadara Security? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We just crossed the decade mark last year. So it's uh, it's definitely been a journey. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys kind of hit the nail on the head with it, right? It's, uh, you know, how do you how do you deal with things when uh, they don't necessarily go according to plan? And how do you uh, how do you, you know, align yourself with, uh, you know, maybe lack of resources and prioritizing what actually needs to happen to be able to move move your business forward? Um, and, and, and to be successful, right? I think uh, I think all of those things really need to, to come together, and that's uh, you know some of the things that I, I think about when you when we talk about grit and and uh, you know really being able to put uh, you know you mentioned tenacity, right? It's uh, it's you got to wear a lot of hats to be able to to, to start off on your own, or, or uh, you know uh, depending on how, how you uh, uh, you know you're getting started. But um, yeah, I mean that's that's uh, there's definitely a lot to it. I think. So you're going into your second year, or sorry, your 11th year. So you've been through your second decade, really, right? Yeah. So you've had 10 years of experience in an industry that, you know, really wasn't much of an industry, you know, a decade ago. So are there certain examples of things that have shown up? You know, Jerry shared one uh, of his. Are there certain examples that have shown up, you know, in the last 10 years that you're like, yeah, I could have easily given up then, but I didn't. Here's what I did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, giving up was never really uh, uh, part of our thought process. You know, I'll, I'll put that out there, and maybe that's part of what uh, you know makes uh, is part of what helped make us successful. Um, but the, you know, a lot of things have changed in in the last decade. You know, if you go back ten years, uh, you know, there were, and maybe I'll give you a bit more background. Right. So, Sadara is primarily a uh, started off as a cyber services organization. Right, so we primarily started running twenty four seven, or really running SOC services and SOC augmentation, uh, building SOCs, onboarding, uh, helping to onboard analysts, build processes, implement technology for organizations. Right, we weren't a product company. Uh, fast forward ten years, we're really a kind of a blend of that. 
uh, right? And that's kind of a byproduct uh, for us. It's really kind of a byproduct of, you know, changing needs from our perspective, uh, what existed from a technology standpoint, you know, a decade ago, uh, but also, you know, kind of reading the market and changes in the market and changes in what people are really looking for uh, and, and really looking to accomplish from, from a cyber services standpoint. Um, so the, uh, um, you know, it's 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 really uh, I, I think kind of tough to say, but you go back, you know, ten years ago, you think about uh, us focusing on SOC services and what we uh, were trying to accomplish. Um, there were no SOC management platforms, right? SIM was not a concept in the mid market, and that's really part of what our focus was when we started. When we were making you know business discussions and business plans 11, 12 years ago, was you know kind of looking at the market and realizing that. You know, we say mid-market, really kind of under a thousand employees, um, uh, under a thousand employees, really kind of uh, compliance-focused verticals, which again has changed over a decade. But looking at that that size a decade ago, SIM was barely attainable back then, right? Uh, advanced endpoint was barely uh, a concept uh, back then as well, right? And, and even advanced endpoint with EDR was they were totally separate conversations. When you know, fast forward a decade uh, uh, later, um, you can't even have that con one conversation without the other nowadays. So, uh, you know, being able to to kind of read the market and, and really understand, uh, you know, those types of things was really kind of a big uh, kind of a big focus for us uh, very early on. Um, and and there was definitely a, a lot of things that didn't go well, and we had to pivot and adjust. And uh, you know, definitely kind of brought in some of the buy versus build conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, we're a services company, right? So we didn't. You know, we weren't going to uh, build the next uh, new SIM technology for the market, but we wanted to take what was available in that space uh, and make it approachable, right? Make it usable for the customers that we wanted to work with. Um, and there was a lot, a lot of trial and error for that one, that's for sure. Well, so you just mentioned, uh, you know, early on, you know, pivoting and, and lessons learned and hard lessons learned. So uh, in the intro, Ryan had made the comment about fail fast, right? So the idea of failing fast and, and recovering quickly and, and, and being agile, which is awesome when you are a small business, you can be agile. Um, well, can you share some examples? Because one of the things we want to provide to um, the community of interest who's attending today is you know, basically learning from the mistakes of others so they can not make them uh, themselves. So can you share a couple like, you know, ex fail fasts basically and why it failed and potentially what a lesson learned could be from that experience? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think the the best examples I can give uh, from at least from my experience and in, in from from Sadara's uh, kind of roadmap and journey um, given that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll back up a little bit and say, you know, we, again, we, we start, we're, we're security practitioners, right? Um, none of us were really business people when we started this, right? right? So we, uh, we were passionate about what we did. You know, we knew, we knew we could take very confident in ourselves from a, uh, from a delivery standpoint, from a technology standpoint. You know, one of the things we always said is we could take any product and, 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 you know, make it do backflips until you hit the point where you can't, uh, succeed in one of the use cases that somebody's trying to accomplish which was really kind of a big focus for us uh, early on is, is, you know, people either overbuying products and then um, not being able to take advantage of them um, or not just not leveraging the investments that, that, that they've already made. And that was really kind of the focus for us uh, from, a, from a service delivery standpoint was to say, all right, you know, you have all the tools, you've made these investments in these types of things, you know, let us actually implement this and build a program around it. You know, it's not just about putting one tool in place and okay, now, now you got security. Um, it's about actually building uh, processes and, and capabilities and expectations uh, into the business uh, that, that you're implementing this for, right? So it's, um, you know, that's, we were very confident in our ability to do those types of things. So when we talk about, uh, you know, failing fast and failing often, for us, it was, it was the business side of things, right? It was picking business tools. You know, how do we do invoicing? How do we, how do we do manage timesheets? How are we you know, handling, uh, you know, contracts within customers, right? None of us are, are legal experts, none of us are financial experts. And frankly, we weren't sales and marketing experts either. So for us, failing fast and failing often, often came in the form of sales and marketing uh, and those types of things, because, uh, you know, again, we're not salespeople at heart, we're technologists at heart. And it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, uh, it's, it's very, and not even from the sales engineer, again, from the practitioner standpoint. So, you know, putting investment into marketing. You know, I can still remember our first marketing campaign that we, you know, invested uh, $5,000 in, which, you know, was a lot of money when we really bootstrapped this thing, right? We, yeah. we did this from the ground up. 
and uh, thinking that that was going to yield some sort of results or, or, you know, had these grand expectations of what we thought we were going to get out of this, you know, uh, fantastic marketing campaign that we had uh, hired an external firm to do. Um, and it was a total flop, right? Uh, but when you look at those types of things, you know, instead of in hindsight, not now that I we learned, lived through those things, you know, you don't need to, uh, there's no magic button for this stuff, right? So failing fast and failing often a lot of times can be uh, in the form of, uh, um, you know, putting time and effort into something that's a relatively low cost, right? You get to, 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 to test it out or tease out a process um, and uh, understand if it works or not, right? And that's one of the big things that we really try and carry forward in all things that we think about now is failing fast. And how do we test it in a low cost, uh, cost from uh, you know financial aspect or from a time and, and services aspect? Um, and uh, you know if if it's uh, it, and understand what failing actually means, right? If you had mm-hmm. these grand expectations for something and you didn't hit them, great. But is there still some uh, positive aspect you can take out of that that you can maybe carry forward or maybe you need to readjust and retry? Um, so that's one of the things that we really, even pushing down into service delivery and the uh, technical capability side, we try and uh, carry forward with what we do today is, is the fail fast, fail, fail often model and uh, really just kind of take the things that work um, and then be able to focus on those. Um, and for us, you know, again, defining what what, what does it mean to, to work uh, becomes important because sometimes it's, you know, sometimes uh, you put effort into something and if, if you could say, well, I'm only putting a little bit of effort into this and if it if it works, the results might not be fantastic, but it, it totally makes sense for us to continue this process versus, uh, you know, putting a, you know, say a ton of money into a marketing campaign or uh, spending a, a ton of money to go, you know, have a, a blue uh, a booth at Start a Village at Black Hat, right, which uh, is is <laughs> fantastic, right? You get a lot of exposure there, but how do you know you're actually going to get out of it what you expect to, right? Are you hitting the right people? Is it your right market? Um, do you think you're actually going to get some sort of return on investment uh, there? And, and, and if, if you are, what, what, are, what are the expectations? Yeah, 100%. These are all the subjects I think all the listeners would be interested in. Because as, as a practitioner, these are the things you bump into. It's like you, you know your technology or you know your service, right? Um, but you're not necessarily sure how all the business fundamentals that go there. So there, there's a whole laundry list you mentioned of things that I'm sure everybody would be interested in. But I want to start with one piece that you mentioned. And it kind of starts before that. It's called business strategy, right? Which which we don't always think about. But one key piece that I think you you teased out there, which is worth discussing, and I think Jerry, we could probably have a whole show on this, is product or service. And so, and, and what, what I mean by that is, they're two completely different business models. Either you're serving a client or providing a service, right? Or you're providing a product, right? It, it, and maybe we'll have another discussion on this, like way down the line. But interesting to hear your thoughts on this because when you first get started, it feels like you kind of have to choose, right? One or the other, because otherwise you're only selling a product or you're only providing a service. And to try to do both at the same time is like, you know, I don't know, trying to trying to, you know, boil the ocean while also like, you know, starting a flamethrower thrower right underwater. It's like you can't really do them both at the same time, um, which is an awful metaphor. But um <laughs> So your thoughts, like how did you get started and choose a product first or sounds like the security side from the SOC side, but how did you get started with that? Yeah, it's a, no, it's a good question. And it's, you know, as I mentioned, we've definitely transitioned uh, over the last 10 years uh, as, as we've grown, as we've, uh, you know, as the market has changed, as products have changed in the industry. And, uh, you know, again, early on, you know, think back a decade uh, ago, as I mentioned, some of these technologies just weren't approachable uh, to, to mid-market uh, uh, businesses. But there were there were a handful, right? Um, even from the business standpoint, uh, the concept of you know managed security service provider MSSP or uh, this whole kind of uh, even just think about like monthly billing uh, didn't really exist back then for security products. It was your traditional um, you know, uh, kind of purchase when you wanted to buy a SIM or those types of things. And so for us, I mean, we even had to think about things like that. Like how do we build customers? Can we be flexible, even though our, our vendors don't really hold us, uh, uh or aren't really going to give us the flexibility uh, in, in the market. So for us, it was very much service focused, but it was, uh, with a focus of how do we, how do we bring this to market, you know, together as a product with a service? Because um, even though we're not, you know, building the product, that's ultimately, you know, where the market has gone is, you know, people don't want to buy one thing from one vendor and then buy services from someone else and then, you know, have to buy three or four other things from different vendors and kind of have uh, uh, all these different uh, pieces and then try and fit them all together to build a comprehensive program. 
you know, I mentioned SIM and endpoint, and those are just a couple of the, the basic examples, but you know, you have all sorts of other, um, you know, products that are really required to build a comprehensive program nowadays on top of the services. And, you know, do you have an internal CISO or an external CISO? Um, you know, how, how are you handling red teaming? Uh, you know, how are you communicating red teaming to, uh, to your, your, your SIM and endpoint team, right? Like, do they, you know, is this full true black box? Um, or, or how do you communicate these types of things to, to make sure you're actually, um, you know, going to be successful when you're building and putting all of these things together? So in our mind, it really wasn't a separation of product versus service because, you know, we kind of saw this path where um, they were going to come together and ultimately you're buying an experience, you're buying a program. And for us, that's really kind of why we expanded, uh, as I mentioned, very early on, just doing SOC services, very technical focused of building SOCs, implementing those types of things. Uh, but it didn't take us too long to realize that, you know, we wanted to focus on building the whole cyber program, right? So we started uh, branching out and building a CISO program. So we have a whole team of CISOs, a virtual or fractional or however you want to, you know, refer to them uh, these days that are, are there to help, uh, you know, we, we focus on compliance driven verticals. Um, so we have a you know whole team that's focused on kind of building NIST-based programs or ISO or you know whatever the uh, framework is that you want you want to use, and all these tools and processes and things need to fit into it. So again, it's 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 you know when you think about it as a program, it's not really product versus service uh, anymore, and that's something we've really kind of continued uh, to think about even as we brought our own products to the market. Uh, we still look at ourselves as as both, right? We have our own products that we we built and implemented, and we run for services. Some are just part of our our SOC services. Some are part of other aspects of how we uh, you know kind of deliver and operate internally. Uh, you know, I'll give another example like our SOC management platform. Uh, Ten years ago, things like swim lane and alarm aggregation tools and those types of things just didn't exist. Uh, or if they did exist, they were uh, really designed for the Fortune 1000 organizations where they're bringing all these business units together. Um, you know, they really weren't approachable or cost effective for organizations like us, especially ones that we're trying to bootstrap. So we had to build it. So we designed it, we built it. And that's still how we operate our, our SOC today is, is some of this homegrown software. Uh, so for us, those two things, you know, as much as you have all, all kinds of advisors say, well, you have to choose service or you have to choose product. The industry itself is not really asking for that. So we've kind of uh, still come uh, uh, come forward with this this notion that, um, you know, there is definitely, uh, you know, a lot of validity to the concept of, all right, well, you treat product differently than you treat a service. Right. Uh, there's but there's still customer expectations that come out of both of those. Right. There's still an experience that you're trying to, to give to the customer. And there's still um, kind of this uh, um, this, this overall goal that you're trying to achieve with building a security program. Um, and I think the biggest thing with this is you, it has to be flexible, uh, whether it's a product or a service. And that's what you know I think we put a big focus on is you know taking what people have uh, invested in already and augmenting that with some of our products and services. And that's frankly where some of our products have come from is um, you know, we found a need uh, that wasn't easy to implement or to, to, to close the gap on for some for many of our, our long term customers. Um, so we've we've kind of built these little niche products that help help fill those gaps. And that's uh, so we, we don't necessarily separate the two as much as we you just still need to think about them separate. Maybe from a business standpoint, you need to track them separately, separately, obviously support and development costs and those types of things are different than service delivery costs. Um, and when you're, you're building forecasting models and those types of things, but, you know, to the end user from their perspective, it doesn't, you know, the whole market is kind of looking at combining this, this as a, as a product or as a, as an overall program. Uh, and even look at some of the bigger providers nowadays, you know, even though they're just a product company, they still have a whole team of professional services, uh, you know, engineers and things like that behind it that are implementing and customer success teams and all these things. It's still service delivery, right? So it's I, I think there's still this convergence in the market um, of what a customer really wants to get uh, out, of, out of being able to uh, experience uh, uh, you know cybersecurity tools and, and the concepts and bring all this to market. Love it, and uh, you know for those who are joining us, there's over 72 uh, people here in chat right now learning uh, best practices from Derek Christick from Sidara Security. Uh, talking about entrepreneurship. Now, uh, Derek, you, you said earlier that the business has been uh, just crossed the decade mark. So obviously you've been successful and you've had year over year success, but taking it back, let's, let's, let's get in the time machine. Let's get in the DeLorean and go back to the year is, you know, 2013. Um, and you're just kind of starting when this is the grit episode. So when we talk about resiliency, 
you can like, with all due respect, 10 years in, you can take a big swing and have a big miss and it's no big deal. Uh, but when you're first starting out, I mean, you could push all your chips in and, and, you know, fail pretty badly. Um, so from, if you can go back and kind of think how did, and, and for those who are thinking about getting into their own business in 2024, what were your thoughts around what, what service to choose or what product to choose? And how, how did you come to, um, to, to like choose that and, and make sure that, you know, you would be resilient and be able to be successful? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So, uh, you know, I think nowadays, especially for smaller, uh, organizations, uh, brand new startups, anyone that's trying to be an individual entrepreneur, um, or, or, you know, smaller, uh, service delivery, you know, provider in the security space, you have way more options. Right. The market has just, uh, you know, recognized that you have a lot of uh, smaller MSPs out there that need to be able to deliver security services to their uh, their small businesses and those types of things. And I think, um, you know, product organizations, product companies uh, have just realized that there's just a huge market there that they need to be able to uh, to, to, to work within. So they've created these, uh, you know, uh, again, monthly billing models where or, or, or um, you know, only pay for what you use sort of models when you're talking about endpoint where you're not uh, you're not you're not. You, you don't have to pay for this like annual commit and then you're not sure how much you're going to grow or, or how many endpoint licenses you need, those types of things. Um, but uh, a decade ago, it was there really weren't that many options. Right. Uh, so uh, that was kind of an easy choice for us is uh, and that was frankly, that was just part of our, our business strategy and our business plan was picking some of those before we even pull the trigger on, on launching Sidara, because if if we couldn't do it on paper, then we knew it wasn't going to be possible. So we had talked with a few different vendors, really talked through partnership contracts. Um, and, you know, frankly, we had to negotiate a few pieces that were like, look, if you can't work with us on these pieces, then we can't we can't move forward on some of this. And, uh, and I'll give an example. One of them uh, was, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help do implementations for this this product, but we want to be part of the professional services uh, pipeline where, you know, you're doing all these implementations, you know, we're going to be experts and in many cases uh, have much more experience doing this than some of the uh, the internal professional services team, uh, right? So that's kind of one of the negotiations we had made was like, look, we'll, we'll, we'll sign on for this partnership for this annual fee and, you know, we'll, we'll sell into this, but, uh, you know, we want to be part of the success of this and help, uh, you know, help drive um, your organization and your product uh, uh, higher with, with our expert expertise. So, you know, so, you know, a, a decade ago, uh, it was uh, there. There weren't all that many options, but we did have to kind of make some of those uh, those those uh, decisions very very early on about how we were going to take them take them to market. I love it. I do absolutely love it. So we got tons of questions coming into chat. I just straight fire coming from chat. So Derek, I hope you're ready to take these. We're just going to take a, a brief right. uh, break. Uh, to say thank you to ACI Learning, uh, the sponsor, mm -hmm. the exclusive sponsor of CyberStars. And then we're going to do uh, just rapid fire uh, questions from chat for Derek. I can't wait. Back in 60. You chose a career in cybersecurity and you follow this podcast because you're passionate about being at the top of your field. But let's face it, not all training is created equal. Don't settle for boring training that leaves you uninspired. You deserve the best to support your dreams. At ACI Learning, our instructors are legends in the field. Our studios are state of the art. We're always on so that you can be too. We're equipped to pivot and cover every emerging trend in cybersecurity. Because in this fast paced industry, you need training that keeps up. But it's not just about the expertise. Our on-demand video training is designed to be actually fun to watch. We believe learning should be exciting, not a chore. We offer training in every major vendor and certification. ACI Learning's on it, so you can be too. And don't just take our word for it. See what others are saying on Trustpilot. Real reviews from real professionals who have experienced our offerings firsthand. Choose ACI Learning because support for your cybersecurity career deserves nothing but the best. All right. Thank you, ACI Learning. Again, let's get right into it. Longtime uh, Simply Cyber community member, Christina Paulika has a question, Derek. Where are you seeing a gap in the market? Like where clients are requesting needing a product or service they're simply lacking or doesn't exist? Spill the tea, Derek. Give us give us some uh, insider secrets on where the market needs. 
Um, yeah, that's that's a tough one because uh, you know I think uh, over the last four or five years we've just seen this uh, huge uptick in, in all of these new kind of innovative products that have come to the market, trying to solve some of these problems. Um, so one of the things we're always cautious about when we kind of get into this sort of discussion is is really focusing on what are you trying to achieve, right? If you, if if you're doing uh, say a, a, a compliance uh, or a framework driven program, um, it, I think the reality is that you know products have been around for a very long time that are going to be able to help you solve a lot of these things. So one of the, the things we typically say is, you know, if you're focusing on building a whole program from the ground up and really thinking about policies and procedures, and, and, and this even gets into things like onboarding and offboarding users, right? So there's all kinds of products uh, about, you know, managing onboarding and offboarding and automatic offboarding and these types of things. But in a lot of cases, the reality is if you build good processes around these on the business side, you don't necessarily need a product to solve the problem. So I think those uh, this question kind of gets into a lot of those types of conversations. Does it require a product or does it require an adjustment to the process? Uh, from a market standpoint, um, you know, that's that's tough to say. You know, the, uh, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people that are kind of focusing on even things that didn't exist a few years ago, like a, a, a bringing threat intelligence uh, products to the market. And, and again, leveraging things you've already invested in, but maybe, you know, bring things a step further in your in your overall protection. Um, so I think that's probably an area that's uh, that's definitely uh, uh, um, going to be moving forward a lot more in the next couple of years, the threat intelligence side of things. Um, I think the uh, cloud discovery is, is really another big one where, you know, again, you could have the conversation of, you know, do we put a bigger a, a bigger focus on our process of understanding how do we implement cloud technologies and um, allow access to certain things and manage and monitor those types of things. But you're starting to see a lot more products that are kind of bringing that in as well. So there's definitely a, a balance uh, there, I think. But I'd say um, I, I'd say that's probably one of the bigger areas that we're starting to see a lot more customer requests for is, hey, I have all these cloud environments. I have no idea what's up there because the developers are just off doing their thing. How do I get a better hold on a handle on these types of things and make sure that we really are protected and that we don't really haven't introduced a gap that we don't really know about yet? And sometimes those are things that you can't really tease out with doing proper, even even proper red teaming uh, or penetration testing, uh, because some of them really require you to kind of get under the hood and understand how you know who who uh, you just go look at the billing, right? Who's buying these services? Who, who's implementing you know new AWS or Azure services in your environments and those types of things? And I think uh, I think that's that's definitely a, a big area that we're seeing a lot of requests around. Yeah, and I'd also offer up, um, and I know it's going to sound crazy, but it is really an acquired skill, is like really active listening. Like if, if you actively listen, you will hear people talk about their problems. And, you know, you, you they may not say I'm having trouble with onboarding AWS for my DevOps team, but if they're complaining about workflows and process flows and, and you know, speed of, of their product pipeline and stuff like that, like you can tease out like, oh, you know, like I, I hear you. I hear that problem you're having. It sounds like this. And then, you, you know, you, you're basically not guessing what the market is. You're you're confirming the business need. And then you can have a service or a product that then goes on and serves that need as well. So a lot of people are doing kind of side hustle stuff. I'm going to paraphrase Carrie's message here. But uh, Carrie's got a little bit of side hustle and uh, he's trying to get business, right? Trying to have those conversations, trying to, uh, it sounds like cold call, like in person effectively, uh, and, and trying to run into some challenges where people are uh, immediately turned off. So from a business development perspective, right, uh, Derek, kind of keeping it within that grit and resiliency, you've got to have <laughs> you got to have clients, right? Uh, what are your thoughts or, or suggestions to somebody like Carrie or somebody who's side hustling individually as a solopreneur on business development? Oh yeah, it's a, it's a good question and, and, and absolutely a super important one when you're uh, uh, when you're trying to trying to build a new business. Um, so you know, I think we we come at this with a couple different thought processes, and you know, bottom line is you have to get in front of people. Uh, that are either going to be uh, referrers uh, or uh, direct clients, potentially, right? So you have to get in front of people, and you have to be comfortable with that with that process, right? Especially when you're 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 really young or, or small organization, you're you're selling yourself at that point. You're not selling a brand. You're not selling your experience as as the the company uh, at that point. You're really just selling yourself. Um, so I think understanding your audience is really a big part of that. So getting in front of people is number one, but kind of understanding uh, the purpose of why you're in front of them is, is really another big, big step, 
right? If you're at a, a say a sales conference that you paid to be at, whether it's you know more informal networking or you're actually there with like a booth or something like that, um, you know people expect you to talk about uh, your product and yourself and your capabilities from a sales perspective, right? That's not out of place. Uh, but where we see a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of people struggle, I, I think, is uh, you know trying to be very salesy in uh, conversations that you're pulled into just from a, a, a business standpoint, where people people aren't expecting to be sold to. And I think part of the question was how do you make sure you don't get pushed out? And I think that's really kind of the big the big one, right? Is if you're part of a conversation incidentally, uh, the fact that you're there is important, right? You have a seat at the table to, to have conversations. So don't. It's not a sales conversation at that point until somebody wants it to be. So I think getting in front of people is, is the number one most important option. You can do that a bunch of different ways. But secondarily, I think knowing your audience and, and why you're there is probably the second second piece to really make those types of conversations successful. Yeah, and Derek, <clears throat> that seems to be the sticky part, right? The why you're there. And tying into what you your answered Christina's question and this one is sort of what problem are you solving for? So you can get in, bunch, in front of a bunch of people. What the key is, what problem can you help them with? So tying back to your your uh, the, the answer to the last question, sort of listen for the problems. Because we as entrepreneurs always look for, hey, can I do that better? Or is there a gap that I can fill, right? But the key to all of those is actually solving the problem, it sounds like. And I think you nailed it with the first one, which is like, look, if you want it to be sticky in your network, then help them solve a problem they have. And maybe, maybe that's a first step. You know, that might be one area that sounds like you kind of teased out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times that doesn't mean you're solving their problem, right? Sometimes that's a referral to someone else that's going to help them solve it. And, uh, you know, incidentally, you're building your network that way. Right. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's I think it's something that's really underestimated. It's definitely something that I underestimated a decade ago of how important it is to to be able to uh, to kind of uh, uh, to, to, to do that. Right. To help people to. Uh, to be able to uh, refer them to someone that, that can really help them. And, uh, you know, incidentally, you're helping to solve their, your, their problems. Um, and, and it will come back eventually, right? As, as you spend time, you know, tactfully uh, kind of building your network and, and, and doing these types of things. Yeah. Be, be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny too. Uh, I saw this on like a YouTube short or it definitely wasn't a TikTok because I'm not on that platform, but like I saw this one and it, it so I'm going to credit it to that. But um, as far as like identifying opportunities, because you just said something that that triggered me, um, you know, if I asked you, Derek, on you know, you're in the office today when you drove to work, how many red cars did you see? Right. You, like clearly a red car drew, drove past you at some point. But you, I, I'm sure you couldn't tell me how many red cars drove by. But if I said I'll give you, you know, 50 bucks for every red car that drives by, like when you came into the office today, you'd be like, I saw seven red cars. Where's my 350 bucks? And, and, and it's just a quick metaphor to point out that if you are incentivized to look for opportunities and thinking in that frame, you will see them. They're all over the place. It's, it's, it's crazy how many, like once you start seeing it that way, you'll see them all over the place. I say it all the time. Ideas are easy, right? <laughs> it's execution that's hard and choosing where to put those energy and, and resources. So Toasty Pops has got a follow-up uh, for you, Derek, as a smaller MSP, how do you figure out the right balance? This is such a great question between servicing a few clients well Versus the need to grow and get overcommitted and staff you can't afford and you know all those things. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, good, good question. question. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know, for me, I, I think this really kind of comes down to your business goals, right? Where where are you trying to get to? Um, you know, are you trying to grow past a certain level where you know you know you're going to need additional capital to to bring those additional employees in? Um, or, or are you, you know, perfectly happy, uh, kind of staying, staying in the course and, and just only getting to a certain point. Um, so I, I think that also kind of gets into pricing discussions and all, all sorts of other areas of, all right, if, if it's a bit more white glove service, um, then, you know, you would presumably expect to charge a bit more for those types of things to, to service clients, uh, you know, in a, in a much, uh, either, either more depth or, or more broad, uh, uh, uh type service offering. Um, but I, I really think it, it ultimately kind of comes down to where you want to be as an organization and then backing that into your business model of, all right, if we know we want to grow, we know we want to get to the point of hiring a bunch more people to get to this point. Well, here's what's going to cost us to get there, right? Here's uh, revenue wise, we're going to have to hit to get to this point to even justify it. Uh, you know, for us, you know, I think I mentioned we 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 started Sadara you know, out, out of nothing. Right. So we, uh, you know, we, I mean, we made uh, conscious uh, business plans. We spent over a year really kind of uh, financially and personally planning to, 
uh, and from a business perspective, planning all of this out uh, before we really kind of made the leap into it. Uh, but we kind of had this roadmap in, in mind of, you know, all right, we're going to we're going to grow to a certain point before we hire, uh, you know, our first uh, additional security engineers or our first uh, sales uh, outside sales reps. Right. Like we never had sales for dedicated salespeople for years. Um, but that was part of our thought process. And I think that's really kind of a big, big factor there is how do you how do you uh, where do you want to go from a business perspective? And I think that'll help you you know, understand those types of things. Yeah, it's it's so true. I feel like people. I mean, I I myself, I guess I'm I'm projecting because this is how I felt. But like, you're just like ah, oh, like service or ah, product, like go and like if you don't think about like you know where are you going, like then like you don't know, you can't measure anything. Plus, plus like I I heard someone say once like okay, so like let's just pretend you did like two million dollars in sales this year. Like just just right now you closed one client two million dollars. Like. It, like, is that huge? And then you're going to recede back or now is that like the new, the new milestone for next year? Like, what, like, what, what does it mean if you did $2 million? Like, what, like, so really thinking through it's, it's so, so savvy, Derek, um, doing those kind of heady things. Um, Gary Sturgiatis throws out here and I love Gary, by the way, huge fan of Gary. How do you measure or find the grit necessary to not grow too big? So this is a similar question. Toasty pops was more about like, you know, client service versus overcommitment. And I think Gary's more about um, just overall, like size your organization and, and getting crazy. He wants to grow a business, but he sees it as a two person uh, situation. What are your thoughts around uh, company size and, and culture? Yeah, I might even say, I, I feel like there's a certain element of culture that gets waned as you grow. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a good question as well. And I think, you know, if, uh, you know, I say a two person operation at most, you know, at that at that size, it's definitely easy to find the, the right people to kind of uh, that you align with from a culture standpoint, from a delivery standpoint that are going to, you know, go above and beyond for your customers and that you'll be you know really happy putting them in front of a customer uh, with with expectations that they're going to deliver. So, you know, once you grow beyond that, it becomes uh, even more important to, to really understand what your you know, your, your company values are and really what you're trying to, to achieve with customers. And, and, and it's you can't can't. Uh, uh, state and enough how important it is to find find the right people as you grow and make sure you know you continue to build that culture because it really is very very important to build a, a good positive culture as you uh, as you grow. Um, I think this kind of hits back to uh, what, what you had mentioned uh, before about uh, you know if you bring you hit two million dollars you bring in one client that's the two million dollar client. What does that do to everyone everything else uh, mm -hmm. in your in your customer base? Right? Are you alienating them because you said yes to one client and now you're not now you have to deal with the fallout? You know, are, do you have a roadmap to be able to grow past that at some point if you're going to say yes to the two million dollar client? Um, you know, what, one of the things we and we've run into this conversation many a times. And one of the things we've always said is, um, you know, it's it, it's really easy for I think a small business to say, all right, well, great, it's a it's a two potentially two million dollar client and. You know, if, if we sell for two million, you know, might save them three or four if they were to go to so much to go to IBM, right, or a much larger organization. So, you know, I, I think it's really easy to fall into that trap of, you know, you think you're gonna uh, can win it by saving them money, but then you fall into this trap yourself of having to deliver against it, right? And then how do you get out of that? How do you get out of that hole, right? Is it is it financially? Are you bringing in enough to hire the next people and bring you past that plateau, or are you can be stuck in this loop for a while until you. Uh, until the, the contract ends and then and then what do you do so i think that's uh, definitely a really important one and something we've had to, to grapple with for uh for really the entire time we've been in business is you know making sure you have a good handle on what does the in industry expect from from a cost or, or sales sales cost perspective make sure you're not you're giving things away too cheap just to get the business and then you have to figure out how to deliver against it yeah and that, <clears throat> that's i love that because you've hit on all the fundamentals right so with a two-person company, you know what your upside, you know what your costs are, right? And that's the key with cost control, which sounds like, right? So that's your sort of downside. You know what the upside looks like because you know what you can potentially charge. So it becomes a sort of, you know, the big question going back to the sort of the first question we had is like, what's the addressable market and how do I how do I find the gaps? How do I address them? Right. If when you're starting out, it, it's almost easier to cap the upside, right? And take care of the downside, which is the the costs and the potential in the first uh, client. And then, you know, from a grit standpoint, you sort of, if I hear you right, you sort of, you know, let the market dictate it. Like one of the, 
wonderful things I heard you say at the top was you were able to sit down with your clients and actually walk through what they what services they would like. You're addressing the market right away without having to guess. Like it, it, you know, for those that are listening, like that's a fantastic way to address the market because you you've got nothing's guaranteed, but you've got somewhat of a guarantee of like, okay, I have a client that's you know from a sales funnel standpoint is about here the say you know almost almost committing um, to work in that way. So for for Gary's question, it's like you know the two person. If you don't want to grow bigger than two people, if I hear you right, you're almost at this point where it's like, you know, you know what your costs are at two people. So you know just what you want from a margin standpoint to keep the lights on and keep going. Uh, that's that's kind of a nice way to start. And depending on who your customer is, uh, you can either grow, use one or grow from there. It's, it's more of a cost standpoint. I was going to ask this question uh, a little bit later, but Chris Weaver uh, echoing that this is a great question. So I'm going to push it to the front because uh, the, the chat demands it. Um, Derek, Chris Heldago says, have you faced challenges with the growing regulatory requirements of your clients? If clients rely on you as their primary security team, do you have any specific team that helps with audits? Yeah, it is a good question, and and, and absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned a bit bit uh, earlier in the in the show. Um, you know, about five and a half years ago was was the point where you know we, we said we really think we need to have uh, you know a GRC side of the business that's focusing on these types of things. So that's when we uh, you know we consciously uh, um, started to build that team and build a team of CISOs and compliance uh, analysts and experts um, to really focus on these types of things. Um, and that was really kind of a pivotal point for us as, as a business because we really started to kind of push that into SOC and all the security, the, the technical side as well, to say that these types of things really need to be driven as a program and not independently. That, you know, we might get brought in to do SIM, but the reason they're buying SIM is probably for GRC purposes. And yeah, there's some, uh, you know, some 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 detection side of things uh, from active threats that are absolutely don't want to be understated are very, very important. Uh, but the other half of that uh, tip in almost every case is um, is some sort of compliance control that needs to be adhered to. Um, you know, I think the good mm -hmm. thing uh, from a regulatory standpoint is, you know, no one's really reinventing all of these things. You know, there's new state laws and federal laws that are being applied. And, you know, the uh, the legal side of it uh, is getting a bit more clear or, or maybe unclear uh, and, and depending on, on who you talk to and, and the type of regulation you're looking at. But, uh, you know, when they put a new regulation in New York, typically it's not it's not something that's brand new, right? It's still going to align with the NIST or an ISO set of controls, and you know, understanding exactly how it applies to that that uh, that vertical uh, becomes important. But when you live and breathe that stuff every single day, like our our team of folks do, um, it's usually not a really big lift uh, for them to say, "All right, well, now I understand exactly what this regulation is supposed to do, uh, and how we're going to implement uh, the controls against it, and those types of things." Uh, but the other side of that too is is and, and we advise our clients is have a good uh, uh, legal uh, team as well, right? On the on, on the regulatory side to to help make the decisions or help the business make make the legal decisions about some of these pieces because you know as as much as these uh, are are very much focused on uh, uh, you know compliance and in, in uh, different set, uh, frameworks and different types of controls. Uh, whether how well you meet the control or if you have an issue or if something is reportable when you're building processes and, and cap, uh, processes and, and policies, uh, right? You have to have someone weigh in on, on the legal aspect of it as well, right? What is the what is the risk to the business if we do or don't hit this mark? So, you know, there's definitely a lot there to, to, to unpack. But, uh, you know, I think the good news is, um, you know, a lot of uh, the regulations na nationwide and, and from a state level, are starting to uh, you're getting more and more of them, but they're but they're not really reinventing the wheel, which is a good thing, right? They're getting more refined, uh, right? You have NIST uh, CSF two two point um, that's um, really getting a lot more specific about uh, uh, um, prescriptive about how different things will get implemented and those types of things. Uh, if you're international, you know the ISO frameworks. A lot of them are the same sort of thing. So we do a lot of crosswalking between you know, especially when you get into you know defense sector and CMMC and all of the NIST controls that that requires versus a hospital with HIPAA compliance, right? A lot of a lot of it's very much the same sort of thing. You might have different uh, terminology for CUI versus PHI and those types of things, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the goals are pretty much the same, right? So, uh, mm -hmm. from, a, from a practitioner standpoint, I think I think the the, the good news is uh, you know a lot of the programs that we're building are cross functional against a lot of these different verticals. Yeah, Derek, fantastic. One, one follow up to Chris's question is. Are, are the areas you've found 
that are helpful to get ahead of some of the compliance and regulations that are that are coming down. Is to have a quick list of two or three or four areas you go to see if you know if we're going to be providing a service to get ahead of them so that you're ready when when they hit. Um, that might be a helpful follow up to to the question. Um, yeah, that's that's a good question. So we do a lot uh, with uh, with the NIST frameworks. You know, I've mentioned a couple of times. Uh, you know, the various versions of it. Um, I mean, we uh, most of us came from the aerospace and defense sector, right? So it was uh, you know 853 and 171 way back when, and I think the industry is really kind of adopting uh, the CSF at this point. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really about uh, the uh, the different. Uh, uh, it's, 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 it's about staying on top of those things, right? Some of the bigger, bigger updates on some of those was, all right, well, you can't use SSL anymore. It's about TLS. Well, great. Okay. It's still the same, uh, intent, right? The purpose is still there. Um, so I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, good resources that are kind of, uh, out there interpreting the new, uh, the new controls and the updates of those types of things. Um, it, and a lot of it ends up being, I hate to say on a state by state basis to, you know, kind of focusing on what individual states are doing. Uh, you know, New York has a lot of uh, New York, California, Texas, uh, uh, even Florida just uh, is, is in discussions about one for education uh, or there's kind of the mandate out there, but it's not not uh, still a lot of unknowns about how that's going to be implemented. Uh, but at the end of the end of the day, almost all of those come back to a framework. Uh, so, you know, uh, I think staying on top of those and what's happening in the NIST communities and those types of things, um, even in CMMC in the government space. Right. It's a lot of discussion about is it CSF? Is it eight, one of the 800 frameworks? is a subset of that, you know, at the end of the day, all the controls are still the same uh, or very, very similar, right? The intent is there. It's about the impl uh, uh, the, the implications of, of what does that mean to the business and how they're going to implement these and then manage risk. Because at the end of the day, it's really about managing risk, identifying risk and then managing risk. Yeah. And we're talking with uh, Derek Christick about uh, cyber entrepreneurship and, and grit, the grit episode. I want to say shout out to all the people watching on LinkedIn as well as a YouTube including my man, Joe Hudson. Good to see him in chat. Uh, about 80 people with us right now getting massive value. We're, we're going to keep going, Derek, but just I, I wanted to pause and just let you know that people are like filling up their journals with notes from all the knowledge bombs you're dropping right here, sir. Um, so I want to I wanna pivot a little bit because this is a question. Um, <laughs> honestly, I, I'm very transparent with my audience. Uh, I want to know the answer to this question. Okay. So when you start out as a, you know, a, you know, new business or whatever, you're wearing like 10 hats, right? Like you're the bookkeeper and the marketing and the sales and client delivery and all these other things. And then you probably start outsourcing them. And at some point, maybe, I don't know, when you hit the, the decade mark, Sadara security, you start bringing some things in house, right? So Will Reed wants to know, like, what do you, what's your thought processes on this? How do you navigate when to outsource a service versus having it internally? Are there, you know, is there like a rule of thumb you have or how do you approach this? And I know this is less about cyber, but this is a cyber entrepreneurship podcast. And we want to make sure that we're addressing all these things. And this right here, that's a real, real conversation. Great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, and I think uh, th this will be similar to uh, kind of my answer on one of the questions before uh, in terms of it, it depends on your business model and where you want to get to. Uh, and, you know, how, how much do you want to grow? How many people do you anticipate hiring for the delivery side of things? Uh, you know, one of the, you know, the, the, I, I think two, two probably key things that we've always focused on is one, understand exactly what you need for a process, right? Do it yourself internally and make sure you understand what works and what doesn't for your business, yeah. especially on the finance side, right? You, you can't just throw your finances to an external, uh, you know, bookkeeper and uh, anticipate that you're going to know exactly how to read their reports and what, you know, what does your, your bottom line actually look like month after month or quarter after quarter. Um, you really have to get into it and understand these types of things, but you know, how you do invoicing, you know, how do your customers perceive your invoices, right? Are they coming from QuickBooks or are they coming from, um, yeah, uh, you know, a, a more enterprise uh, uh, type type of uh, of, of uh, invoicing system, right? What is what is the perception of your customer look like when you're you're putting these types of things in front of them? So that's um, that's one of the big uh, things we've always said is, you know, if this is a customer facing or not, right? That that helps you make some of those decisions about you know how how uh, uh, how refined do you want it to look or how polished do you want it to look in front of a customer? Uh, but I think one of the other ones is right if you're anticipating continuing to grow. Um, if you're going to outsource it, like what's the cost model, right? At what point are you going to hit a cost model where it make, makes sense to bring it to an internal person? Uh, and then what types of uh, capabilities can you combine into a different role, uh, right? We've been fortunate enough to find, uh, you know, some folks that have been uh, joined Sedara several years ago that can help 
uh, really kind of do uh, several of those pieces. You're not hiring, you know, dedicated uh, resources for, for, for every single one of these, but at some point they need to continue to branch out and it's gotta be part of your business model. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to think on. And I, I don't think that there's a one size fits all answer to that. What one, I guess, rule of thumb that I use again, I am not Sadara security. I am a, you know, I have a couple employees, but they're all either married to me or uh, have my genes running through them. So, you know, for, for me, it's like, if, if it's something I don't like doing <laughs> and it takes time, um, away from me doing things that I do like doing that help the business always align to the business, then that's when I begin to examine and evaluate and frankly, ask around other cyber entrepreneurs like, like yourself and Ryan, Hey, I might fire you guys an email and say, Hey, like, you know, I've, I've outgrown doing my own bookkeeping. What do you guys think? You got a recommendation or anything like that? That's kind of the rule of thumb I use again. Small, I'm a, like, I'm kind of a smaller one person operation, very new, not, not, you know, so as well established as you. So I think there's, there's massive value in uh, in your response, uh, Derek. Thank you. Uh, so really quick, as we as we get, I can't believe the hour is almost upon us, Derek, which is bananas. Um, I want to pull up Sardar Security's uh, website. I dropped a link in chat so you all can see it. Um, Derek, anything about Sadar you'd like to share with with uh, the chat or the community or anything? A couple people, by the way, were asking in chat about whether or not Sadar does referrals, if there's opportunities to partner, you know, like anything like that, uh, please let us know. But uh, I'm just curious if you have anything uh, for chat to kind of take action on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, I'll address the, those uh, couple uh, questions right off the bat. There's definitely uh, an info uh, uh, email address on the site uh, if anyone's looking for, for more info on, on either of those things, um, as well as the partner side. Uh, we definitely uh, work with a lot of MSPs and, and uh, um, IT organizations um, and even, uh, you know, other organizations that are, are, I'll say, do, you know, one and two person shops that are just doing CISOs. And we help do, you know, the red teaming and their, their SOC services for their, for their customer base as well. Because um, we do run a full 24 seven uh, operation here at Sadara um, out of New York. So that's uh, that's really kind of been a big, uh, big focus for us is the 24 uh, seven uh, uh, SOC operations here. Um, and, and as I mentioned, you know, it, when you talk about business plans like that was that was the, the plan for us out of, out of the gate was to build uh, get uh, build to this point where we could uh, really build a, a full 24 seven eyes on glass uh, SOC. That we can be really proud of and that's uh you know it's it's it, it took us it took us a while but that was part of our plans out of the gate and i you know i can't uh, stress enough that uh you know have, have a vision for these types of things right and then you can you can work the finances you can work the products you can work the partnerships all of those things as long as they fit into a vision you can work backwards uh from where you you, you view you want to get to uh and, and and build your plans around it oh, i love it i love it so much and uh i saw josh mason one of the mods for the simply cyber team uh, dropped a link to the Sadara Security Partner page. I've gone ahead and pinned that in YouTube chat. So if you want to follow up with Derek and potentially partner um, on a, a project or an initiative, uh, definitely follow up on that. Uh, we've been talking with Derek Christick from Sadara Security on grit from a cyber entrepreneurship. Uh, thank you so much, Derek. Really enjoyed it. And for all those who submitted questions that didn't get answered, uh, just come back. We're going to have amazing guests on. Uh, thank you so much, Derek. Genuinely appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Now, chat, don't go anywhere because we are going to be giving myself and Ryan's key takeaways from this conversation. Stay tuned. You're going to love it. Ryan, that was an amazing conversation. Derek is like a wealth of knowledge. He really is. You know, like... I. You, you can tell when you're in the industry for that long, like how much people can learn from all the different sides of it, right? So some of the key things that I took away was like starting with the strategy, right? He, he was pretty clear about you can do both product and services if you have a vision for it and if you listen to your customers, right? I thought that was pretty, pretty impactful because, you know, we all try to struggle with that when we're getting started. It's like, how does this actually work? It's like, well, if you have a vision for it, you know, you can do both if they complement each other and you have a vision for it, right? I thought yeah. that was good. Yeah. And, and the main key about feedback, just listening to your customers, it's like it's 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 amazing how much we forget that like when you're in you when you're addressing your market, no matter how small, it could be one customer to, you know, infinite, right? It's like if you're listening to what they're saying and understanding that the problem that you're actually solving for, right, then you you have a better chance of continuing to solve the problem and staying in business with them. And then when it doesn't work out with grit, you know, pivot 
pivot fast. All right, that's that's a big one. But I, I really love sort of the out the last question, which was the outsource question. You know, sort of like, hey, when's the right time? And uh, I, you know, I love what you had to say and what Derek had to say about, um, you know, it's 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 a combination of the cost model and the capabilities, combining the capabilities, and then you know, you'd kind of nailed this one. It's like who you trust <laughs> to do the work. So yeah, great episode. A lot of good content here. Yeah, for me, my key takeaway, um, obviously, I'm, I'm thinking always through the lens of like, like me, and you know, like how can how can I help use this information to level up and better, uh, simply cyber, and mm -hmm. it, it was really around um, taking pause, and I, it's almost like tr trite or cliche to do a business plan and make sure there's a market there, but like literally. They did a business plan and like sketched it all out on paper before they went live, before they invested a dollar. Um, and, you know, like building a foundation to build a house on. Yeah, it's really cool to just throw a house up and then like, look at me, I'm sitting on a milk crate eating pizza under my new roof. But <laughs> if it's built on quicksand, guess what, bro? It, like that ain't going to work. So mm -hmm. I know it sucks to put in the work and do like the boring stuff up front, but it's so, so critical to success. And, you know, I just, it's just great to not only hear it, but see it in practice and, you know, basically kind of reinforce that by doing it, you're doing the right things. And there's a reason it is the traditional approved, well-defined, what, you know, well-worn way of getting things done and having a successful business, frankly. Yeah, hundred percent. And one of the even bigger values here is they were able to do it with one of their potential customers. So you're yeah. getting that immediate feedback. So you're not in this sort of, you know, eco chamber of yourself thinking what the market wants. You're actually working with the client, uh, which was an, another added step, which if anybody can do that, right, you have your potentially first client right there and you've got a relationship and you're building your network. You can get started with one right away and then you start the ball rolling. Right. So that was a, that was a really interesting takeaway. I hope you've enjoyed Cyberstars. This is season one, episode one. We're going to do eight episodes per season every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So definitely mark your calendar. I am super excited. I hope you got massive value from the show. Next week's guest is going to be Ben Johnson. He, if I'm not mistaken, is an Olympian, uh, right, uh, Ryan? Basically, yeah. Yeah, like no, no big deal, like an Olympian. Uh, so you're going to want to catch that. Each episode's got a theme. We're going to be delivering massive value. And as always, we're going to be answering all your questions. For Ryan Lervik, I'm Jerry Ozier. I hope you enjoyed the stream, and we'll see you next week for Cyberstarters. See you next time. If you got value from that amazing interview, be sure to check the entire back catalog of Cyberstarters interviews for more tips on launching and the effective business operations for cybersecurity entrepreneurs. You won't want to miss our next episode, I guarantee it. Join the Simply Cyber Discord server at simplycyber.io slash discord to chat with the larger community and be made aware when we go live. We want all your questions answered. Until next time, I'm Jerry for Cyberstarters. Stay secure.